Welcome to episode three of It's Always Saturn, the podcast from Raven Rabbit Ram. I'm Christina Lengel. I am your host. And today's guest is musician Matt Tarka. Matt is a Lancaster-based musician. He was a total pleasure to talk to. I recommend it highly if you ever get the chance. He's got a show coming up October 7th at Isaac's Brew House in Lancaster. He has a podcast called Cover to Cover Conversations, which is a really fantastic ride. You get to listen to someone talk about an album end to end and the impact it had on their life. So it's a very intimate look at his guests' relationship to the music that has shaped their lives. I really enjoy that podcast. Additionally, he has a new podcast coming out called Sons of the Beatles. You can find that on Instagram and just stay posted. I believe he said the first episode should be launching in September. So anytime now. He's got some music that he's released over the course of the pandemic and some new music that he's working on. So also please keep your eyes peeled for any new releases from him. You can find... More info about Matt at matttarka.com. We'll also include notes to his various socials and projects in the show notes. The thing that I want to comment on from this episode is that we started to talk about the seasons. Specifically, Matt was talking about his enjoyment of fall, and I mentioned that I hate summer. I did some further introspection about that and realized exactly how deeply I hate summer. It is true, the answer I gave during this conversation that I do not like the stagnation of a particular feeling for an extended period of time. I prefer the variability and the transition of spring and fall to the extremes of winter and summer. Thinking about it, the most traumatic events of my life have all either occurred over summer or right at Thanksgiving. So these are times that I have really intense anxiety and a whole season is a long time to be filled with anxiety. And I've noticed that as fall comes about, there's actually a very specific moment where I feel it's almost like a gate closing or a veil falling over my face. And I can sort of feel myself going deeper into myself as as if I'm like reaching out a hand that I'm just unable to reach whatever part of me is descending into that darkness. But I think people who have suffered from any sort of mental health issues can probably relate to this. There's almost something comfortable about depression, especially as contrasted to general anxiety. So if you've if you've worked with both, I mean, unfortunately, it's not like you switch one off and and switch the other on, you're always going to be dealing with both things to whatever extent or mitigating the effects of them at least. But it is but it can initially feel like just a bit of a relief to switch from feeling super anxious and waiting for the other shoe to drop to feeling depressed where you don't really care what happens next. And I'm not I'm not promoting anhedonia or the feeling of not caring. In fact, we talked about later in the episode, I mentioned that I don't know if things have actually gotten more scary or I just in my younger years didn't have the mental health to care what might happen to me. I will say that it's something to watch out for, especially, you know, if you feel yourself making the switch, maybe take a day to curl up in a blanket and really enjoy that sort of nihilism. But don't get too comfortable 
That's one thing I love about the show Big Mouth is it really does a great job with the depression cat of showing the sort of languid indulgence of that feeling that you can have if you let it creep up on you. I'm not saying, hey, don't be depressed. That would be ridiculous. You can't just choose not to have that sort of feeling. But I am saying, hey, you're not alone. And hey, there's help out there. If you're feeling some sort of funk going into fall or you're someone who's prone to seasonal affective disorder and the colder months are harder for you, just know there's stuff you can do. There's people out there. I'm with you in spirit. But in the meantime, let's really focus on the fun of fall and the pumpkin spice lattes and spooky home decor. Live it up. With that, I'm going to play you a song from Matt Tarka. This is Heartbreak and Euphoria. There's actually a review of Heartbreak and Euphoria from a much earlier edition of Raven Rabbit Ram. You can find it on our website. It's a great song. It really brings something very 90s out in me, at least. I want to say that there's almost a bit of a wallflowers, gin blossoms, which which Matt mentions as being another fall band for him, but also an influence of his. Please enjoy Heartbreak and Euphoria. And following that, please enjoy our interview. Thank you. It's always Saturn. Knock on wood if I see your face 
question for you was actually what you're working on right now because I know you said that you have a bunch of stuff that you're cultivating right yeah as we're speaking right now it's you know hopefully a a pandemic kind of drawing to an eventual close during that time you know when things got started and we were all cooped up for for lack of a better term it's a good opportunity to write and you know over the past oh two to two and a half years of cobbled together close to, I don't know, 18 to 20 songs, pretty fully fleshed out, which is really, you know, really promising. I've always been somebody that's just kind of like kept my head down and just kept tweaking ideas. But, you know, at the moment, I'm just, you know, I feel really fortunate to be just like sitting on a nice cache of songs and figuring out what to do next. I released some singles, uh, during the pandemic in 2021, I released, you know, essentially a, a, you know, five song EP, you know, throughout 2021 song every couple of months. But yeah, at the moment, I'm just trying to figure out what's next. Do I, do I think about the attention span of folks in the 21st century where we can only take things in like little miniature pieces and a single at a time, or do I just kind of do what I've been doing and cut a four or five song EP and just continue that path and release little chunks every year, every other year. What do you do? What do you do? What's, what's going to resonate with people in terms of how they want to listen to music. It seems like it's, it's kind of a a constant battle that I'm having is to, I mean, I know my own personal listening habits, what are people going to really enjoy or how are they going to enjoy consuming it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think about like, well, even just listening to cover to cover, like there's something so magical about the art of the album itself, not just any single song, but the story that it all tells together and the arc of it, which I don't know, I think listening to episodes of cover to cover, you really hear people exploring that so much. And I love that so much. But again, I grew up listening to full albums because you would buy a CD or I mean, eventually, probably when I was in high school that's when Napster and all that started but (laughs) but it's still I mean (laughs) I I mostly listen to full albums so from an artistic standpoint that seems like it would be as much a consideration as any individual song would be how the full piece works yeah I, I enjoy listening to to music that same way going over liner notes and essentially having your own interpretation of the six you know six degrees of Kevin Bacon you know what I mean listening you know listening to a piece of music and being like 
wow, that's really cool. I'm noticing, you know, some, you know, the way the bass or, or drum snare sounds, you know, and it might seem kind of similar to another album that you like. And you just, you know, you discover like, oh my gosh, I really like the producer's approach here. And then I start digging into maybe some other bands that that, you know, he or she has worked on in the studio. It's, it's just such a very like natural way of discovering different styles of, you know, or different bands, if you will. Same as, same with guest musicians and figuring out like what people, who, who has collaborated with who essentially. Mm -hmm. And it just grows your catalog accordingly and your own musical tastes, I suppose. And just knowledge of, knowledge of what's out there, what's yet to be discovered en masse. So that's, yeah, thank you for bringing up cover to cover. I think everybody's got their own kind of unique story and how they connect to music. And if it's literally going back to back of a record, or if it's just some single that just really just hits you, you know, exactly when you need it to be clobbered over the head and to say that, hey, maybe something's going to be okay. Or yeah, I've had the same, you know, kind of experience and you're not alone. That's kind of the power for me. That's the power of what music can do do to you change your dna for the better absolutely that's something i think about i remember finding random cds at this thrift shop and they were just in a pile of stuff and i remember thinking that i had discovered something that was just a purely unique experience one of the cds was this band Deadsy, <laughs> and then there was like Apex Twin, some just yeah. really random stuff. <laughs> and like years later, of course, I realized, oh, that was a CD that other people listened to, and other people had this experience. But I felt like this completely like intimate and private thing, as if I had discovered some buried treasure. But it was just because I hadn't heard them on the radio, I thought that I had made some sort of discovery. You know that movie, Almost Famous, when Penny Lane says, "You know, I'm going to visit my friends." Mm -hmm. And she's talking about, you know, the musicians that she really likes, but she's more importantly, she's in a very succinct way talking about the very personal kind of connection she has with the bands that she really digs. When I think about my own record collection, or if I'm visiting one of my favorite record stores, you know, because I've either discovered something via a friend or just maybe something I heard from a friend of mine or something along those lines, like, that's just kind of a personal place for me, like, hey, I'm hanging out with my friends I'm listening to something brand new and maybe like they give me a different take on the world or something like that who would you say are your your best friends your your tried my, and true my musical best musical best friends, friends. yeah <laughs> <laughs> wow hmm that's a tough one certainly the Jayhawks they sort of kind of lean in that kind of folk Americana Somewhat experimental too, I think. There's some some ambience to some of their newer material. But I just, I love the songwriting of Gary Loris in particular. Like, there's just such a timeless quality about his work. So yeah, the, the Jayhawks for sure. I'm trying to think of artists that just, I own most, if not all of their catalog. Well, certainly Bob Dylan and uh, Green Day for sure. I mean, I like, I, I like, I love a lot of Green Day's earlier material, whether it's 1039 Slappy Hours or Kerplunk, you know, through Dookie. A lot of that early material kind of got pop punk labels slapped on it. But if you listen really closely, you could, 
you could say that somebody like Billy Joe Armstrong is really heavily influenced by the Beatles and Chuck mm-hmm. Berry. A lot of that earlier just rock and roll sound just kind of permeates through a lot of the melodic structures of Green Day's music. So Billy Joe, Mike Durden, uh, Trey Cool, Al Sobrante before him, just that's that's really timeless, you know, timeless music, timeless melodic structures as well. So yeah, Green Day, Bob Dylan, the Jayhawks. Gosh, it's so tough. R.E.M. for sure. Love some R.E.M. Yeah. Early Wilco materials, great. A.M. through being there. Excuse me. A- yeah. A.M. being there. Summer Teeth. There's a little bit of a I don't want to say country, but like the, the folksy vibe of some of those bands. Yeah. I mean, I would say probably country and in some regards, like certain Wilco stuff, stuff like that. Like, do you find oh, that to be a Jim big... Blossoms too? Sorry. Oh, Jim Blossoms. Yeah. That's a good one. I actually wondered when, when I first started listening to your stuff, I was like, ah, I, I feel like he must be around my age because... I couldn't tell for sure, but I was like, I feel like some of these influences are like the same things that I loved growing up, like hearing. With certain styles of art, I associate the artists that I really love with certain seasons. And I think some of the artists that I really like tend to sound like fall for me. Mm -hmm. And I happen to feel really creative personally closer towards fall. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because like some of the colder weather, the crispness kind of like finds its way like through your bones or what. And it builds some character that way. Fall happens to be my favorite season. And these bands kind of, I associate with fall for one reason or the next. Is your birthday in the fall? Just out of no, no, I'm a, I'm a spring baby. I was Me born too. May 2nd. All right. I have a theory that everyone's favorite season is when their birthday is, but you're you're going the opposite way. I am. I am. Yeah. Bring a new. I like the variable seasons. I don't. I don't like winter and summer as much as fall and spring for sure. I, I mean, this summer I decided that I just actually hate summer. So is it because of the extremes? Just I think it's just the stagnation and like one particular vibe like yeah <laughs> summer it's just I mean it's exciting for the first couple of weeks and then it just stays hot and sunny and I don't know I, I used to live in Los Angeles and I didn't like that either I just need more more change day to day I'm looking outside and, and the grass on my lawn it just looks like straw it just looks really just hot and oppressive we had a long discussion today about whether we should even mow the lawn because it seems like I don't know. It's too hot to like. It's not really growing. It's just kind of dead. <laughs> yeah, I've just been hanging out in air conditioning for the past couple of weeks, just avoiding outside for the most part. And you're I can't wait for fall. <laughs> <laughs> and you're in Lancaster. I am. Lititz, to be very exact. Okay. If you were to to open a map, I would be in Lititz. How's but- that? How's, how's I've Lititz? never been to Lititz. <laughs> no. Lititz yep. is kind of a quirky little town. Lots of little, like, hidden ice cream parlors. There's a chocolate factory Wilbur, where Wilbur Buds are sold. Mm. Um, it's also Sturgis Pretzel Factory, where the first uh, pretzel bakery in America was founded. It was in the 1860s or 1870s. 
by the Sturgis family. So yeah, it has a lot of small town charm, but there are lots of sort of like hidden, very unexpected things that you would find in lit. It's like if you were to go to a big, you know, arena rock show, for example, a lot of the, um, a lot of the equipment, sound systems, a lot of the pyrotechnics that you might experience at a show are very likely designed at rock limits. That's um, really cool. By the Claire brothers, atomic design, you know, is responsible for lots of pyrotechnics that you might experience at a rock show. So there's a lot of things happening in this section of Lancaster County. They're just cut away. You just have to know where to look. There's also a new music venue that's kind of cropped up recently that I don't know. I think people should keep their eye on, and that's Mickey's Black Box, which is kind of an outpost of Rock Lidditz. So it's a mysterious place. There's a lot going on there, and a lot of you know uh, entertainer names that you might recognize that are just setting up shop, planning world tours. But my understanding is Rock Lidditz can never confirm or deny. You know, when somebody's <laughs> in town working on <laughs> their their next big, you know. John across the country, across the world. That's so, really cool. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, it's a nifty place. Lots of activities. Lots yeah, of activities I've do. I've heard a lot of comedy happening out in the Lancaster area lately too. So I feel like there's kind of a draw. Maybe it's the proximity going like between Philadelphia and Harrisburg that there's just people are like, oh, here's another cool place. That's I think so. I think so. Are you thinking about Zootropolis by chance? No, the the comedy. Um, I believe it's called. I want to say power plant, but that's like probably not right. So something that makes me think oh, electricity. Oh, um, yeah, Phantom Power. Yeah, there you go. Phantom Power. Yeah, they. Um, yeah, they're over by Millersville University, I think. They're a cool place. I haven't had a chance to check them out as a venue yet, either for comedy or for music. I think Kurt Files coming there pretty soon. Oh, nice. Yeah, I've heard that it has more of an alternative scene than some of the comedy wise. I mean, obviously, outside of Philadelphia, everything's a smaller market. So um, alt stuff's hard to come by. But I heard that Phantom Power has more of that. I like kind of being in a smaller market, you know, where artists consider routing themselves between Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. Sometimes I wonder if, you know, artists like to use those kinds of markets to test out some new material. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. If I ever go to a show in a smaller market like Lancaster or Harrisburg, I think something, you know, really cool and unexpected is going to go down, whether in the set list or just, you know, just people being really revved up for a show. I don't know. I like the vibe here. You know, it's just, it's very different. Like, I just find that people are just really locked into what they're doing. They're Mm -hmm. present. Our music writer, Carl, was commenting that Philadelphia has had like a real dearth of artists showing up there. It would be cool to see that. Like, I mean, it's not cool to see see Philadelphia not getting artists, but it it would be cool if it's because artists are showing up in smaller market areas. Yeah. I went to a show not too long ago at XL Live in Harrisburg. It was uh, for the Here and There Festival. It was uh, Courtney Barnett curates this festival. She was headlining it at XL Live and Lucy Dacus was on the bill. Mm -hmm. Caroline Rose and who am I forgetting? Faye Webster. And it was cool to just, you know, see, you know, many of these artists that are now, you know, they're headlining places, you know, throughout Philadelphia, down in DC, and just play to, you know, essentially a 900, 1000 capacity space. And boy, it was fun. Just really really great, really cool energy. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I get so much of my music from 
I have Sirius in my car. So I just listen to their XMU station, which has a lot of just like more of the indie or newer stuff that hasn't. Well, that's the thing is I, I don't usually have a very good sense of whether or not these are things that are super on the air on regular radio or how, how much people are listening to them. So mm-hmm. when I hear the name of a, like a Lucy Day guest, I'm like, oh, that's really cool that like she exists out in the world. I guess it's kind of similar to that idea of like finding a CD and thinking like, yeah. oh, I'm the only person that heard this. But um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that happened with Japanese Breakfast because they were they were opening or not opening. I think they headlined a show in Harrisburg. And then, yeah. and then like, you know, a month later they were on SNL and I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> That's really cool that we're getting those kinds of bands here. That's funny. I had a ticket for that, but I just, I had to bow out at the last minute. And I've yeah, been kicking myself since. It's another white whale, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I Japanese breakfast. It <laughs> may not happen <laughs> the foreseeable future or at least you know in this area that's a cool space hmac mm-hmm. it's definitely been drawing a lot of bigger bands lately i feel like half the times that i drive by there like the streets closed off and there's a giant bus out there but it seems to be very eclectic like they'll have death metal they'll have jam bands like it's all over right. the place which is cool and some comedy too creed from the office was there not too long ago yeah. <laughs> Did you see that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I've done their open mics a few times for comedy. And one thing that I appreciate about Harrisburg as well in, is that it seems to be because it's such a small town, there's not like a lot of factions of different scenes. Like you kind of get everybody in one place, which is cool because I think in a lot of parts of the country, you might have, you know, like traditionally black comedy clubs or, you know, traditionally alt comedy clubs but you just kind of see whoever at hmac because it's just not a big town so what's your material like i didn't realize you're a comedian i haven't done stand-up in a while but uh, <laughs> kind of deadpan and dark i guess <laughs> i like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> i do improv more regularly because i feel like it's easier to participate on a team sport almost because you feel obligated <laughs> to show up and do a good job but when you're just just doing it for yourself it's like yeah I'll just not go today do you have a set list or do you just kind of just wing it like with a series of topics it definitely goes better when I write a list okay yeah <laughs> I have <laughs> I have done the winging it approach but it doesn't always work out great understand yeah no I need a set list too whenever I'm yeah. playing a show that kind of relates to one of my other questions for you was, do you have a lot of different instruments going on in your music? Do you write all those parts? Do you work with other musicians? Do you have like a standard group that you work with when you record? So <laughs> great question. I'm a, so at, at the moment, I'm a solo act. I may hear other instruments in my head, but I primarily play acoustic guitar and a little bit of bass guitar. Usually not so much bass guitar in the studio. You know, for the most part, you know, the, the last couple of records I've made have all been folks that happen to be musicians, you know, themselves, or that's that's kind of been sort of the gist of it. Like friends who happen to play music and mm-hmm. in some, you know, situations, you know, a producer who is also a musician. When it comes to the actual like structure of various songs, like, for the most part, I have some really clear ideas of, you know, how I want to present the material but that doesn't mean that I'm close-minded to any ideas of how things can kind of be worked out in the studio but yeah just lyrically musically like 
the melodies have been pretty, pretty fleshed out, pretty well defined. And then, you know, we just kind of work around that, you know, by building scratch tracks and stuff like that with my acoustic guitar and vocals and then layering some drums over top of it to just give it a really good solid foundation and then work all of the other instruments, you know, kind of into the mix. So yeah, the past, you know, the past couple of singles, past couple of EPs, it's kind of been sort of piecemeal. Yeah. It's been mostly, it's been mostly piecemeal that way. Um, There have been a couple situations where some recordings have been remote. I will say that the last five singles I released, it was, it was half studio, half, remote and some of that had to do with the pandemic the bones of everything crowds heartbreaking euphoria good morning sympathy uh postcards and comments like most of it was recorded in the studio down in um a place called low watt recording in savannah georgia with my friend ted oh that's fun yeah 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 the past couple of of times i've gone down to savannah to to hang out with ted for a couple days it's been great do you do a road trip or do you fly down well, I usually road trip. I combine it with a couple of uh, visits to a few favorite B&Bs, stay in a and b and walk to the studio and get haunted by spirits back and forth. Um, Savannah's fun. It's probably, it's probably one of my favorite cities in the country. I did take the train once. I was in DC when I was living around DC, DC to Savannah. Never again. <laughs> it's just <laughs> too many pit stops. So I'd rather just hop in the car and go just hop down 95 to 17 and spend about four or five days in the studio and see how things shake out. But yeah, it was, it was a great space right on Broughton Street, downtown Savannah. Do you think it's haunted there in that general I, area? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You know, sadly, a lot of Native American burial grounds um, got dug up over time. You disturb some spirits, they're they're bound to either be a little nasty or potentially friendly and they have no other place to go that might sound a little quirky to some but if you've ever traveled to savannah you'll know what i'm (laughs) talking about you might have you know things on your smartphone magically erased (laughs) sounds like a great place to record music apparent reason you know with with your alarm song of lady in the morning it's happened (laughs) and you didn't set it yourself you you've seen some civil war era ghosts you know kind of peering around the corner down through alleys and why are they there i don't know but the whole the whole place is haunted i'm telling you that's really cool that's added some intrigue to the studio for sure have you written any songs about it or around the haunting that's a good question i think i think maybe i was inspired by a few things indirectly but in terms of just like sitting down and just thinking about writing a song about Savannah, I'm not so sure I have, but maybe that, maybe that will happen, you know, <laughs> in, my, in my subconscious eventually. I think about Gettysburg a lot because everyone talks about how, how very haunted that is. Honestly, I guess we're just in a country that hasn't had a lot of, uh, <laughs> or a lot yeah. of modern history. So yeah. of course there's, you know, thousands of years of actual history going on, but um, in terms of like large wars and stuff like that, I guess the civil war would really be the last big thing to haunt places. Whereas if you're in Europe or somewhere, there's probably everything's haunted. Absolutely. Civil war ghosts everywhere. 
<laughs> Keep your eyes peeled. One might reveal itself. <laughs> so this is going to be a total non sequitur from where we just were. But my podcast is called It's Always Saturn because of Saturn, like the idea of the god Saturn, the god of limitation and structure and boundaries and keeping things in. So a question that we like to ask is how that affects your work and like how you use structure in your work. I I think it gets a bad rap as being counter to artistic endeavors. In general, I think that people act like, oh, well, you know, you've got left brain and right brain and you know artists are messy and artists are unstructured and artists aren't like and being a very type a person and fancying myself an artist I take that personally that's interesting so, yeah yeah I feel like I personally need structure because otherwise if I don't you know give myself a timetable to release anything I might just continue to wordsmith too much in some respects I mean more often than not the lyrics for me come first I feel like other musicians I've spoken to it's more the melody and then I think about lyrics later but I think of myself more as a writer first than actually somebody that feels like good you know picking up an instrument not sure why that is if something doesn't feel right out of the gate like if it feels a little clunky you know from a lyrical perspective then I move away from it but I don't necessarily I don't throw any ideas away in terms of the actual just work itself I like to have structure in the sense of having, you know, pads of paper under my car seat or having some kind of recording, multiple recording devices in different parts of my room. So beside my bed, I have a tape recorder, your old school, like 1980 something tape recorder that I'll just, you know, either like kind of like hum or sing some lyrical ideas or maybe just if I wind up playing a little bit on acoustic, just to remember that little melody, giving myself the structure and the ability to feel creative wherever I am in the house or in the car is good. That's the beautiful thing about smartphones as well. You can just also record different ideas like that wherever you go. I like the process of creating and whenever an idea just kind of like weirdly manifests itself, the ability to just drop everything and just think about something, even if it's for just a minute or two and just a little kernel of an idea, just like being able to like develop those little things in just a really nice kind of structural way and then come back to it when you have more time is that's really beneficial to me rather than say, okay, I'm going to sit down at a random time for one hour and feel really creative. That's just not for whatever reason, how my brain works when it comes to the like song craft the good things might come out 15 minutes time if i'm incredibly lucky and in the right place busy person (laughs) and having the ability to just like pick something up at a moment's whimsy and just you know record it and write it down real quick and come back to it that seems to be how my brain and thought process works having having the actual physical things to get to the cream really helped me does that make sense? It's a little it does disjointed. It does. And I love that you write from a lyrics first perspective because that's how I hear things. And I I guess I'm a writer. So I am immediately paying attention to the words of a song. And we were recently having this conversation, my husband and I, because he is a musician. I can say something about a song and he'll be like, Oh, I didn't know that's what it's about, but he knows how to play the song. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, and, he, and he'll just like kind of make like babbly 
scat noises for all of the words because he knows the song but like he just doesn't hear the words unless he sets his mind to it I'm like oh it must be like a musician thing because as a word person I, I just can't fathom not knowing but then I hear so many songs where I'm like oh this is totally meaningless they must not have been that concerned with the lyrics which is just so different from how I operate thinking about like it's a chore like you need <laughs> something to kind of fill the space like yeah to hear words even if there's no sort of full like fully formed idea whatever <laughs> yeah and there's some stuff that I love that's like that like the example we were talking about was plush by stone temple pilots because i thought there was a very clear story in that song of like a woman who was killed and her body is in the forest somewhere and the dogs go out to find her and then my husband like read me the full lyrics and i was like oh (laughs) i made all of that up (laughs) this is is just gibberish (laughs) but he's a great writer yeah but yeah, so it's certainly not like a negative comment, but it's just like, oh, I guess songs don't have to mean anything. Lyric, we got like that. I'm I'm blue dabadibop song was such a big hit. Yeah, that pure. Is it I probably said it wrong. Um, that's a yeah, that's blue, a Gene Vincent song. Yeah, I was talking about the song from I want to say early aughts that was like I'm blue dabadibabadoo Um No. Yeah, it's not, it's not coming to me. That's all right. It's very much like a middle school dance hit in my okay. world. <laughs> not yeah, necessarily one for the books. <laughs> it was just a gibberish song is what it was. Are you a creative writer in other respects? Do you, do you get into writing things aside from music? Or do you find that you have ideas that maybe don't fit into music that you put somewhere else? The past... Oh, I would say 14 or some odd years. I've kind of gone under my own sort of like name as a solo act. Um, Before that, I was in a band called Colonel Potter, wrote a lot of her own material, character from MASH. Uh, It's a project with my friend named Matt Perlick down in Falls Church, Virginia. Prior to that, I was just kind of writing poetry and just sort of like a way you know, from music after being in a group called Smith's Grove in college. So I sort of kind of like fashion myself as just more of a somebody focusing on poetry and maybe the occasional short story. Much of that just has not seen the light of day. I've just been kind of burying it. I don't know. I just, I had like a, a whole series of characters and stuff like that, that were just, you know, folks that are just kind of meandering through life, kind of just hanging out by bonfires and stuff like that and plotting their destiny. Yeah. Just, I I just have like a quirky set of short stories that I've just, I've really just, like I said, tucked away and haven't really shared them, you know, but I don't know, maybe, maybe I'll look for some kinds of, you know, opportunities to just read some poetry aloud or something along those lines. What do they call them? Poetry slams or, um, (laughs) (laughs) this one might not fit in that kind of category, but, um, but I have some stuff that's developed over time. That's cool. (laughs) There's, there's pretty regular poetry open mics in Harrisburg on Thursdays there's one every week at HMAC to bring it back around HMAC but love to see you there <laughs> yeah I yeah maybe I'll test out some uh, long forgotten poetry we'll see that would be cool I, I always think like with music 
there's there's room for this sincerity and vulnerability that you can kind of get to with an instrument behind you that makes it, I don't want to say safer because I'm sure it's terrifying to like put yourself out there as a musician, just as much as it would be for any other art form. But it seems like you can say things that are so much more like personal and vulnerable. You know, everyone just takes it seriously or like they, they're they like, all right with it. You know? <laughs> Whereas if, if you saw people saying the things that you hear on the radio, you'd be like, what is wrong with this guy? Right. Do you find that you write like very autobiographically or more storytelling or just kind of tapping into a vibe? And it's okay if that's too personal a question. I think a lot of what I write is probably autobiographical. I think I made a pact with myself when I started writing music and taking that you know, aspect of my brain really seriously is that I need to, you know, if I'm going to write, I want to write the things that I know about. I don't want to, can I say BS? Yeah, you can say whatever. I don't want to BS my way into thinking that I know something about a topic that I just truly do not. I don't ride horses. You know what I mean? I'm not going to, I don't want to be disingenuous and, and say, think of myself as, you know, a country act when when mm-hmm. that might not necessarily just be my experience or my comfort level. So I just, you know, there are elements of, you know, parts of country music that I love, but my experience, you know, suggests that I don't necessarily know very much about that certain cultural lifestyle kind of beating around the bush here in terms of being autobiographical versus, you know, what, what inspires me. I just think I've just always been just really careful to not give too much of a storyline away. Mm -hmm. A lot of what I'm writing is about personal experiences and I, I do what I can to just kind of leave things open to interpretation. There might be somebody I know that picks up on something I've written and says, really, Matt, I just, I try to keep things as open as possible and without being too ambiguous. That makes sense. I, I do that. With fiction, I was just working on editing a novel that I wrote in like the fall of 2020. I wrote it in pretty short order um, and then kind of abandoned it because I didn't, you know, how it is once you write something and you don't really want to have anything to do with it after that. Yeah, I was just revisiting it and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess if you knew me really well, this would be basically straight out of obviously my life (laughs) but if you don't then it's just a a fiction I think I could tell you about two songs I've written Mm -hmm. uh recently so heartbreak and euphoria there's um (laughs) I was I think I was watching you know a, a significant amount of soccer matches you know one weekend and there's just kind of an expression of trying to figure out a defense you know picking the lock and I just sort of used that as just the announcer just kept talking about just sort of picking the lock of the defense. And I just used that as, you know, just kind of an internal springboard, you know, to try to like pick the lock and, you know, just pick and choose is, is the way the lyric kind of begins. It was just trying to kind of, you know, think of ways of weaving out of a really helping, helping a close friend through a very difficult scenario I love that I love that you took that from of all things a soccer yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) and then you know the most recent single I recorded comets was partially inspired by I think I was probably about 15 years old and some friends of mine we had snuck out of one of our parents houses 
doing what teenage boys like to do and get into a little bit of debauchery and craziness in the middle of the night. And we saw somebody who they had a just a, a black kind of heavy garbage bag and they were digging a hole in the woods. And I thought of just this whole situation of, am I seeing what I truly am believing right now? Is this person, I don't, I don't want to speculate here in any way, shape or form, if this is an unsolved mystery, but some, some real just kind of sinister stuff was happening about two o'clock in the morning in the woods. And I, maybe I concocted this story about somebody burying something, somebody. <laughs> creepy is and scary to think about but that's one of those stories looking back as an adult being like oh my god I'm glad I'm alive because yeah. you had been noticed yeah that's... oh yeah who knows what would have gone down but yeah yeah just watching this whole like really scary thing unfolding from a distance that's that's kind of what partially inspired comets in some ways seeing a... some seeing somebody being buried by power lines <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice breadth of, of inspiration from just, I think that speaks to what you were saying earlier about having access to be able to like write down a thought or record a thought or be creative wherever you are, because you can tell from those two examples that you're engaging with that part of your mind, whether you're watching a sport on TV or, yeah, you know, thinking back. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm always thinking about just, yeah. I'm always open, I'm always open or game to being creative about something, you know, that I'm doing in the moment. And I never throw away any ideas. And some ideas I might just sit on for eight to 10 years at a time and not know what to do with. And then all of a sudden, a lyrical idea comes about, and I can literally just sort of copy and paste very different moments in time together, and you know, have them somehow make sense. Like listening to your music, I feel like there's or I get a sense of a bit of nostalgia listening to it, I guess, because you can feel so much from like throughout the history of rock music, Americana, whatever you want to call it. But do you think of yourself as a nostalgic person? Probably too much for my own good. <laughs> I'm always reflecting on something. Maybe some of that is being dubbed a perfectionist. Mm. Not necessarily with creative pursuits, but just life in general, just wanting to be, have things exactly right and feel comfortable moving ahead. It's not to say I don't take any risks, just that I want things to go great, hopefully in a way that's, you know, <laughs> beneficial for all. Yeah. Not, not selfish pursuits or anything like that. Yeah. I, I think because I, I do have a very kind of reflective kind of personality that yeah, a lot of nostalgia kind of weaves its way in. That's a tough combination of being wanting things to go perfectly but having you know creative pursuits which are so just you yeah. never know whether they'll be accepted whether you'll you're kind of completely reliant on other people's reactions whereas to be a perfectionist you know you have to control you yeah. cannot control the audience that's the nature of the beast isn't it especially yeah. with music like everybody will have an opinion about something that you've put out there and you know, you put a, you put a song out there. It's not necessarily yours anymore. And that's one of the, it's one of the fun parts of playing live. And then the really scary and vulnerable parts about playing live, especially trying out a new song 
because all of a sudden something that you've held really near and dear because maybe it's a little too close. Maybe it's, you know, offers a little extra vulnerability that you didn't anticipate live having that out before say you have an opportunity to properly record it the way you'd like to in the studio. All of a sudden it just changes your perception of what it is based on somebody's reaction in the audience. It's hard to switch that off, especially say if it just doesn't go great. (laughs) (laughs) Do you find that you would try to write? I mean, obviously the pandemic songs are a different story because everyone's inside, but do you find that you try to wait till you have something where you want it before you present it so that that influence doesn't negatively impact you or do you use that feedback to change your work? So the past two and a half years, as this pandemic's gone along, I haven't played any shows. I haven't had that any, any kind of reaction, really just the reaction of things that I had recorded in the studio kind of mostly pre pandemic. So I've kind of taken a break in, in terms of just kind of sharing any new creative ideas. So these like 15 to 20 songs that I'm feeling really like really keen on, nobody's really heard them. And that's it kind of exciting and terrifying because, oh gosh, when I do have the opportunity to play some of these, <laughs> I feel good about them, but maybe I should have held on and you know tweaked a couple of things before (laughs) introducing them especially you know to a live audience I do have one gig on the books where that'll you know I saw that you've was it October 7th Mm -hmm. yeah I'm playing at Isaac's Brew House in Lancaster City that's very cool yeah on Queen Street yeah this is my first gig since I think November of 2019 Wow. It's been a long time. I've done some, you know, I did occasionally some virtual stuff and streamed some shows on Facebook when it seemed like every artist in the book was doing that with the idea that, okay, this is all going to pass and things are going to be hunky-dory again, you know, and luckily live music is, has been back on the rebound recently and that's been awesome. But just personally, I've just had some, just sort of some life stuff, you know, happen. Having, mm-hmm. having a child does that who just turned two. And so that, that kind of gave me, you know, plenty of good reasons to take a backseat from playing shows, but I would like to kind of get back, back into the mix and share some new ideas for sure. Yeah, and why not Isaac's? They're a pretty nifty place on a Queen Street in Lancaster. I'll see if I can come check that out. My, yeah. my husband was, you know, pretty active in music until we had our kids and then it was like a solid break before he could really dive back into playing live oh actually I guess when they were like newborns he still played a fair amount because there's (laughs) not a lot to do with a newborn but once they got into that sort of toddler range it was very difficult and it's like okay this is like all my energy and all of my focus yeah so yeah he's just gotten I mean they're seven (laughs) he's he's just getting back into the swing of being really hard (laughs) yeah it's really hard when they're up three or four at, you know, times during the night yeah. working, working from home, doing everything at home and balancing, you know, in between times, you know, with summer camp and daycare coming up after Labor Day. It's uh, it can be a little bit of a challenging being an, an artist and having, you know, a little kid that wants all your attention. It's, yeah. it's totally worth it if you can. There was a fringe in a day festival in Harrisburg a couple weeks ago. and. I was doing comedy there and my husband was 
playing music and they were just like the whole time just like I just want to leave like, get me out of here <laughs> so it's interesting because you you think in your head you're like oh I do all this cool stuff like my kids will be exposed to all this cool stuff and then yeah. you know there's you're still their parents <laughs> right yeah they're gonna look at you like eh, it's just mom or dad <laughs> yeah. I'll humor them for a minute <laughs> Yeah, my son's already really precocious in just the funniest ways imaginable. Just you think you're making a fun joke to a toddler. And no, no, God. <laughs> Back <laughs> to the great. drawing board. This is an evil forerunner of, yeah. He could be a great sounding board for your new stuff if he's very, got a good critical eye like that. <laughs> he's very definitive musically he knows exactly what he likes and he knows he wants to hear that song again on the cd player record player if he doesn't like it change change it change that so does he have a favorite right now he's really into everything almond brothers and almond brothers adjacent oh that's chill so like warren haynes solo stuff government mule he loves tedeschi trucks band for another example like he has very discerning tastes like he kind of loves jammier bluesy soul kinds of stuff he just loves to dance in the living room that's like nice that was his first tedeschi trucks band we uh my wife and i saw a show at the warner theater in dc february of 2020 before everything closed down and that was technically his that was his second show in utero <laughs> his first show was hollow notes but we're not going to count hollow notes for I'm... all intents and purposes here <laughs> they're great but we're talking about almond brothers and adjacent tedeschi trucks <laughs> tedeschi trucks is a great show we're going to see them at beacon in new york city next uh october 1st oh very yeah. cool yeah and hopefully they come back to a place like hershey theater again like they did when signs came out a couple of years ago yeah i saw them at um is it the whitaker center Stop. Small really? inside place in Harrisburg once. Yeah. I missed that show. Yeah, I think it was I want to say I remember there were signs up for BB King playing there too. And I was like, where am I? But it was in Harrisburg. <laughs> I think, I think yeah. it was the Whitaker Center. <laughs> Why are you guys in Harrisburg? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you take a wrong turn? <laughs> yeah, I actually recently found out that. My friend who grew up around here always, she's like, oh, well, you have to tell people if they're not from Pennsylvania, just tell them that you're from Hershey because like people have never heard of Harrisburg. It seemed so weird to me because I am I grew up in the Southeast part of Pennsylvania, but I knew Harrisburg because it's the capital. So it just Hershey. never occurred yeah. to me to tell people <laughs> that I lived in near Hershey or like if I met someone from another country that they would be able to identify Hershey. But obviously, I guess the candy is pretty noteworthy. Universal. Yeah. You said you grew up in Hershey? Did. Did you um, avail yourself of all the shows and stuff there growing up? Did you see a lot of shows? Yeah, I was, I was pretty fortunate growing up and just going to a lot of concerts in the 90s. Um, Probably, probably an all-timer for me. Well, two. One in 94, the other in 95. So 94, I saw Catherine Wheel, who is a criminally overlooked rock band from the 90s. They were the early slot on a four-part bill of Veruca Salt, Buffalo Tom, and Live. This was when Live's, uh, they were on their Throwing Copper Tour. It was pretty early on, that North American tour around 94. 
that was a phenomenal show. I think I, I moshed about 40 or 50 yards width wise on the football field of Hershey Park Stadium. My back, I think, paid for it later on that week, but it was incredible. And then probably one of my other all time favorite shows was seeing Radiohead open up for REM at Hershey oh my Park goodness. Stadium in 95. This was cool because the for whatever reason, nobody knew who Radiohead was. And this was when the, they were on the Benz tour. It was R.E.M.'s monster tour, but Radiohead was playing shows behind the bands. Yeah, the, so. the phrase Radiohead opening is, is in itself yeah. just crazy to think about. Yeah, it's just a handful of shows that they did that happened in the U.S. And for one reason or another, they happened to be there in late September of 95. Incredible show. I think I was 10 rows back from the stage. Yeah, this was back in the day, of course, when you could physically walk up to a box office rather than purchase, you know, or sleep out for tickets as Mm -hmm. we did sleeping bags at all on on the macadam on the asphalt and just wait until 10 o'clock the next morning to buy your concert tickets. Yeah. I remember going to the, the university bookstore was like one of the places that sold tickets for venues in Philly, the Westchester university bookstore. So I remember like, you know, begging my mom and we'd go wait there for hours for shows <laughs> once to see creed so embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> they, were they playing like at a small bookstore in westchester no no they were just the westchester the university bookstore sold the tickets to like gotcha. i guess they were like a ticket master pub before you could buy stuff online yeah they were playing somewhere in philly and it was just like that's the closest place you could go to get tickets some bookstores do still do that you know that was that was pretty commonplace and same with like a like a boscov's mm-hmm. department store for example they used to have a ticket master ticketron outlet inside the building that was selling you know tickets concurrently with what they were doing by phone i feel like it would occur to me more often if i had that physical reminder they should consider bringing it back because sometimes like we've been talking about going to see sunny day real estate for right. Where are they playing? Union Transfer? I or think underground the Fillmore. I think they're playing the Fillmore. Okay. But <laughs> we've been like, like, well, it'll come up when we're eating dinner or something. We still haven't gotten around to buying the tickets. It's just one of those things where it's like, it comes up and we talk about it. But if I were like somewhere and I saw a ticket booth, <laughs> I'd be like, oh yeah, I should buy these tickets. But sometimes. Yeah. I'm surprised having... they're still available for that show, honestly. Yeah. I'm not a hundred percent sure that they are, to be honest. Last show I saw at the Fillmore was Jawbreaker. Okay. Get Up Kids were supporting. That's pretty fun. It was rad. It was back in April. Masked up and went to the show. Have you found any change in the quality of going to a live show since the pandemic in terms of how you feel about it and how how it all seems to go? I, I can tell you right now, I'm not, I'm probably not as loose just as being a human. I like to have, I like to have some ecstatic dance space. (laughs) um I feel like I'm a little extra cautious for one reason or another when I'm going to a show I I know like kind of where I want to carve out my own little like spot and the music's great I mean just like the quality of music I'm experiencing has just been unreal no matter what even if, if it's a solo act or just like a louder rock band like I'm still enjoying shows just the same but for whatever reason it's still just like the vibe has just dramatically changed and it may like be like this in my head for the foreseeable future. I'm hoping that next year things are just a little, a little bit looser. 
with yeah. um, with with this under control. I just I don't mean to sound too preachy about <laughs> <laughs> the sub variants of this disease. So just I just my head has just said just be a little extra cautious, you know, for now until certainly until my son can get get his vaccination. I think that's definitely. I feel for me being a parent, just being in large crowds in general has made me so much more anxious than it used to. And I guess part of that is not just the coronavirus. I'm sure it's also the mass violence and the general instability that is occurring that feels like, oh, like, is it worth it? Should I go somewhere? That's the other thing too. With all the mass shootings and whatnot in this country, like everything, every place feels like a target. You could be running errands you know, at Home Depot and constantly have your head on a swivel, depending mm-hmm. on just vibe, how many people who's just who's shopping around that just appears shady. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I feel the same way at just various rock shows. I mean, the last one I went to was at Tell Us 360 in Lancaster. Great time, you know, just great crowd vibe and everything. It was, uh, it was Tell Us Three City Fest, mm-hmm. where it was like mostly local bands you know, from in and around Lancaster. And then the main headliner was the Ocean Blue, also from Hershey. Great, dreamy kind of pop band that broke in the late 80s. But yeah, I was I was having a, a great time, but my subconscious, you know, was just kind of like, okay, so I feel like I can trust everybody that's in the room right now, you know? And if I don't, my instincts have said, just get out. Mm-hmm. No matter what, no matter where, you know, not, not just a music venue, but no, I feel the Home same Depot way. department store, it doesn't matter. Like just when in doubt, just get out crazy, fun, right? Fun world we're living in. changed everybody's like, yeah. thought process. I try to ask myself, I don't know. I think there are actually more legitimate threats, but part of me is like, oh, maybe it's just because you're getting older. So much of my concert going youth was either A, invincible or B, in like a a poor state of mental health enough that I didn't really care what, you know, what kind of things might happen to me. (laughs) So I was just, you know, went to things with, with abandon. I I think it's probably a combination of things that are actually happening in the world and, and also Mm -hmm. just being a little older and more cognizant of my mortality and responsibilities and things like that. I hear that hundred (laughs) percent. I don't have that extra beer anymore to show. (laughs) <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, sometimes keep, I keep my wits about me and remember yeah, that list. <laughs> if I hear someone like scream at an unexpected time or something, I'm like, what? then I feel like such a like a grandma because I'm like, they should quiet down. <laughs> yeah, I find people myself trying to enjoy the themselves. Trees now, like the same tall people at shows. Mm-hmm. You know, before the pandemic, is like, why do you have to stand right here? You know. <laughs> right here and the past couple years it's like okay this is interesting people are streaming stuff I'm in the comfort of my own home I don't need to be kind of like poking around you know just trying to look through different people or smart device recording things that you'll you may never watch again but it's great to be back I'm I'm really happy live music's back on the whole I don't mean to sound so it's like such a negative Nancy about the experience well, it's great too because now people can see you live. Precious, the the dynamic between any audience and musician, like it's just such a unique, it's a unique and powerful language. Feed off the energy of an audience and vice versa. My friend, you know, sent me a message earlier today. Salim, 
down in Dallas, Texas. He's uh, a record producer at a place called Pleasantry Lane. And uh, he and I, he's been a guest on my show a couple of times. And we're doing something that's, I don't know, we hope is interesting. It hasn't like, it, it hasn't officially launched just yet, but the uh, the podcast is called Sons of the Beatles. It's as an Instagram presence as well. Just if you look up Sons of the Beatles, you could follow it there. But the whole crux or premise of the show is to talk about artists that they're out of the mainstream, you know, for the most part, but in their own way, you can kind of glean or hear that they are influenced by the Beatles in some way. So it's, it's shedding light on artists you may be unaware of till you listen to this podcast and you get a sense of, you know, why they are influenced by the Beatles and we'll have a series of guests over time. It's likely going to be a very ad hoc kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So just tune into it and you never know who's going to drop by the show. That's super cool. Do you find out I mean, are you essentially hearing those notes yourself and saying like, oh, I can hear the Beatles influence here? Or are you finding that out from like what the artists are saying about their work? Christina, that's a really great question. I, I think we're kind of both both Salim and myself are just using our auditory skills and intuition to to say like, yeah, these these you know, these folks sound like they're influenced by the Beatles and maybe they might talk about, you know, how the Beatles influenced them. So I don't want to necessarily give too much of the show away just yet, but yeah, I I can say that like the folks interviewed, maybe you'll recognize, maybe you won't, but the idea is how much, how much the Beatles just as a whole have impacted popular music you might like. (laughs) That's awesome. That's one thing. It took me a long time to get into the Beatles, but for my entire life before I got into them, I was, I appreciated how important they were. I just never like personally connected with them. Mm -hmm. Then at some point in college on drugs, I was like, I get it. (laughs) 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 But yeah, I mean, even if you're, even if you're not a Beatles fan, that's such a huge mark that they made on the world yeah and as Salim he the last time I, I spoke to him on my own podcast he used this we were talking about an artist named Stephen Duffy who was a uh, original and founding member of Duran Duran Stephen you know after leaving that group formed his own uh, solo project and another kind of folkier project called the Lilac Time and Salim was you know using this term to kind of just describe just Duffy and some of his musical influences. He he happens to know him personally and he was using this term sons of the Beatles. And I reached out to him and said, have an idea. What do you think about this whole notion? So we've just been, we've been batting around a couple of ideas and the, the goal of this podcast is to, you know, likely have the first conversation out there, out there for the world to consume on whatever podcast platform you like to choose hopefully either next uh month september or october so yeah this is very this is very you know very light and loose you know from a time perspective it completely goes antithetical to structure (laughs) 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 and and releasing you know different episodes you know weekly or bi-weekly which i 
you know, but that's, uh, that's the way, you know, that's the way we're going to take it for now and, and see how things shake out. I'm, I'm really excited about this podcast when it, when we get things launched. So I know who the first guest is likely going to be. Awesome. We'll see. We'll see. We've got some, we've got some cool things in store. I will absolutely, uh, we'll put it in the show notes, what, what's out there so far. And- okay. Yes, Sons of the Beatles, S-O-N-S, and that does not preclude women in any way, shape, or form. This is, this is very open-ended, you know, because so many people, men, women, are influenced by the Beatles' music in some capacity. And then your current collection of 15 to 20 songs, you are still formulating how you're going to be putting that out in the world. I am, yeah, I I would imagine that I will do something uh, different from the singles route. I think I would like to just kind of splice things out into maybe three or four EPs, you know, and thinking about this a little deeper during our conversation, but just in terms of who I might work with, collaborate with next, I have no earthly idea. I have ideas, but I'm just sort of in a holding pattern right now. I've shared one or two of these songs with a few trusted allies and I've gotten some good, you know, good reactions to them, which is great. It, I would imagine that one of these EPs would likely see the light of day, maybe fall 2023 at the earliest. That would All be right. my hope because I'm going stir crazy right now in terms of, uh, you know, being able to release material just yet. Compound that with the desire to play more shows got a few irons in the fire and my work cut out for me and uh i need to i just need to find the time we'll but, be uh, on the i'm excited you. i'm excited what's next yeah we'll be on the lookout long term for that yeah thank you <laughs> thank you yeah thanks for having me yeah thank you so much for coming <laughs>